0: Hello everyone! Welcome to your weekly tech update, the show that explores the newest, coolest, and sometimes mind-boggling side of tech available on the interwebs. I am your tech therapist, Ray McNeil. I'm here to take your mind off of the current state of the world, and my prescription? technology. Coming up on the program today, Google's Tilt Brush virtual painting app is coming to the PlayStation VR. This has me so excited. Valve's first entry into the Half-Life world in 13 years is now available, and it's in VR. And happening in this week's What The… we're actually going to rename the segment this week to give you just a moment of joy. That and a whole lot more coming up on today's edition of your Weekly Tech Update, next. Hi everyone. Google's Tilt Brush painting app is conquering one of its few remaining frontiers. We're talking about consoles. The search giant has teamed up with Outerloop Games to release the 3D creative tool for the PlayStation VR. To no one's surprise, it's the same experience, just in your living room. It turned your PlayStation Move controllers into virtual brushes that you can use to create pretty much any immersive masterpiece that you can dream up. And yes, Sony is aware that Move controllers aren't always easy to find. It's actually selling a $100 Tilt Brush bundle that includes two wands plus a code for Tilt Brush. That kit doesn't include the PlayStation VR headset itself, but it beats having to scrounge for controllers at other stores or even shops like Goodwill. However you complete your setup, it could be worth the expense if you need another creative tool to help you relax during a particularly stressful time. Dragon's Lair was a technological marvel when it was released way back in 1983. Instead of using conventional graphics of the day, which were not great at all, it featured real animation by ex-Disney animator Don Bluth, enabled by beefy Laserdisc storage. It wasn't a particularly good game, All right, it was horrible, but those stunning visuals turned it into a five-star quarter-eater and inspired home versions on a variety of platforms. The original is on Steam right now if you wanted to play it, and GOG picked up the Dragon's Lair Trilogy back in 2018. In 2015, Bluth and Gary Goldman launched a $550,000 Kickstarter project to help fund the creation of Dragon's Lair the movie. It, It tanked. So they cancelled and went to Indiegogo looking for $250,000, slightly over what was pledged on Kickstarter. Now, at this time, they were actually successful, achieving their goal in just a couple of weeks and ultimately pulling in more than $350,000. And now, according to The Hollywood Reporter anyway, the project has been picked up by Netflix, with none other than Ryan Reynolds in talks to Star as Dragon's Lair hero Dirk the Daring. Bluth Goldman and John Pomeroy, another animator who left Disney to work with Bluth, are producing this. Netflix confirmed the report on Twitter. Dragon's Lair isn't a very big on plot. Princess Daphne has been kidnapped by the Dragon Singe, and is being held in the fortress of the evil wizard Mardok. And Dirk the Daring, a bold, vaguely dumb-witted knight, crashes the castle to rescue her. The game itself doesn't provide any greater depth, because it's basically a series of rapid-fire quick-time events. That means the riders have the freedom to run with pretty much whatever they want. But whether that's actually a good thing, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully it will be better than Reynolds' last collaboration with Netflix, the Michael Bay-directed cinematic fiasco Six Underground. Honestly, I can't imagine it being any worse. However, I am an action fan, and I did find some mild entertainment out of that movie. Tesla is preparing to release an update to its autopilot system that will enable it to finally automatically stop at traffic lights, and a video of the system at work has already been released. The automaker is supposed to induce more advanced driver assist features meant to help city driving the same way Autopilot has been helping Tesla drivers for highway driving. It's uh, part of what CEO Elon Musk calls the feature-complete version of its full self-driving capability, which Tesla was supposed to push at least to its early access owners by the end of last year. Instead, Tesla pushed what Musk called a full self-driving preview, which was the integration of stop signs and traffic lights in Tesla's autopilot visualization. When the automaker pushed the update in December, Tesla's autopilot system didn't act on those traffic lights. Now, it looks like Tesla has started to push an autopilot update with the actual ability to handle intersections to its early access fleet, a group of owners who beta test new software updates from Tesla. Out of spec motoring on Twitter, who apparently has access to a Model 3 with early access software, released a video of the new autopilot software in action. It shows the Model 3 detecting the red light and stopping the car on its own with some new driving visualizations. The driver assist feature for city driving is part of a promise that Tesla's made since starting to sell its full self-driving package many years ago now. It's going to be available to owners of Tesla vehicles with the latest autopilot hardware and who paid the $7,000 full self-driving capable package price, which has been listing these two upcoming features, recognize and respond to traffic lights and stop, and automatic driving on city streets. The fact that the feature is in early access right now means that Tesla is closer than ever to releasing it to its broader fleet. But the timeline is not exactly clear. Sometimes Tesla only takes days between pushing a feature to its early access owners and the larger customer fleet, while at other times it can take weeks. While Tesla Autopilot will be able to automatically operate at intersections like with Autopilot on the highway, Tesla still says that drivers must keep their hands on the steering wheel at all times, and of course, be ready to take control. The driver is still always responsible for driving a Tesla vehicle. This is pretty exciting. If you've ever flown a Microsoft Flight Simulator, they are getting ready to release their biggest game yet. The Microsoft team is working with an external partner to make it a comprehensive experience on PC, but an Xbox One port hasn't been ruled out as of yet. Recently, the developer posted a new video on YouTube discussing the multiplayer aspect of the game in great detail. Now, the description says, watch as Sebastian Locke talks about multiplayer in the next evolution of Microsoft Flight Simulator. However, that underplays the information on offer here. The video is quite informative and gives players great insight into the staggering level of interactivity and connectivity that this game is going to offer. The biggest news here is that the game features one massive shared world. However, there are other amazing options in the game too, including real weather and real flight traffic. If a player leaves, the computer simply takes over to fly that plane. The servers streamline the information so you only see planes closest to you. Flight Simulator aims to recapture the audience that loved the long-running series of flight simulation titles. There's no official date or price set for the release of this game, but it is slated to arrive sometime in 2020. As part of the surprise Nintendo Direct Mini, which packed in way more news than anything Mini should reasonably offer, it emerged that several big 2K games franchises are coming to the Nintendo Switch all three Bioshock games, Bioshock Remastered, Bioshock 2 Remastered, and Bioshock Infinite the Complete Edition. They will all hit the console May 29th. That's along with Bioshock the Complete Collection, which bundles the titles into a neat little package. You'll also be able to snag the Borderlands Legendary Collection on the same day, which includes Borderlands, Borderlands 2, and Borderlands the pre If that doesn't seem like quite enough, well, you can uh, actually get one more, XCOM 2. The entire collection is coming to the Switch again on May 29th. That bundle includes the classic turn-based tactics game, the War of the Chosen expansion, and a quartet of DLC packs. As time goes on, the Switch becomes more and more of a hardcore gaming machine. And given that uh, you can play titles like Borderlands, Bioshock, and even Wolfenstein on the go, it's becoming a more attractive package for people who don't necessarily want the cutesy graphics of a typical Nintendo game. Now that Star Trek Picard has finished its inaugural season, we have a full view of the ten-part tale. The season finale gave us thematic payoffs that have been in play all season long, and seeing the full picture, we now see all of the many ways that this series took the traditional Trek playbook and made it much more 2020. We've never seen a Trek main crew like the La Serena. Until Picard, every Star Trek crew has had its own quirks, but for the most part, they tend to follow the same original series formula as per creator Gene Roddenberry's mandate — a ship of enlightened humans roaming around the galaxy, fixing other civilizations. What Star Trek Picard does that none of the others did, however, is return to our heroes after they have flown off into the stars. Picard's once great Enterprise crew has scattered and changed, sometimes not always for the better. What happened to them after the credits rolled and history kept boldly going? Picard tells us just that, and it wasn't all filled with hope, but it is most definitely filled with humanity. Nobody likes to see their heroes fail, and here the great Jean-Luc Picard is depicted as a failure in almost every way he begins the series as such, rather. He failed, he knows it, he wallows in it, and he waits to die in his vineyard. He then spends the season making amends and remembering who he once was. Once he remembers, he takes the appropriate actions. The Federation is also failing in its primary ideals, as evidenced by the choices it's made based on synthetic life and the Romulan rescue operation. It's been duped from the inside, but this is not the first time this has happened. A wide variety of crazy Admiral episodes, as well as anything related to Section 31, pretty much paved the way for these missteps. No Trek crew has had as much deception and intrigue going on as Picard's does, though. There are a lot of lies and half-truths that get unfurled, but for the most part, this crew doesn't trust each other. They haven't earned that, so everyone is looking at each other like they could be one of the Final Five Cylons. Everyone is dealing with PTSD on a constant basis, and they all curse like sailors. Why wouldn't they? Trek is boldly cursed before. Data famously gave us an expletive in Star Trek Generations, and though Discovery is much more current, it drops the photon F-bomb whenever it feels like it. All of that makes this sound like a series full of doom and gloom. But the one place where Picard remains truly, firmly rooted in the Trek universe is that, in the end, it is revealed to be filled with That's right. Hope. Our heroes fail. Then they get back up. They relapse, but then they try to heal. They do bad things, but they make amends. Jean-Luc spends most of this series trying to right his many wrongs, and so does the rest of his crew. It all leads up to the final episode. We don't have to give in to our basic human natures. Even when we are suffering from failure, greed, addiction, and loss. We can heal, we can work on it, and we can try to be better. The working on it matters, because we are all responsible for our own actions. This is the true power of the first season. As Picard says, to be alive is a responsibility, as well as a right. All ten episodes of the first season of Star Trek Picard are available to stream right now on CBS All Access. And as a lifelong Trekkie, this is my favorite ten episodes yet of the 774 Star Trek episodes available. Virtual Reality and the Half-Life series both have struggled with the weight of expectations put upon them. Half-Life and its sequels are treasured games that each redefined the first person shooter in their own ways. Yet developer Valve Software has left Half-Life's story unfinished now for 13 years, recently admitting that previous attempts to continue it were, in its own view, simply not good enough. VR, meanwhile, offers the promise of unparalleled immersion, the ability to let players perceive virtual environments and touch objects as if they were present in the real world. But factors such as high price points, complex setups, and the physical demands of playing have seen the tech struggle to bring that magic into the mainstream. Now, Valve has attempted to solve both problems at once, creating a new Half-Life game designed specifically for VR. The results of this are nothing short of spectacular, delivering an expertly crafted Half-Life tale inside of a knockout VR experience. Alex isn't a direct continuation of Half-Life's story, unfortunately. Instead, it takes place five years before the events of Half-Life 2. You also don't play as the series' protagonist, Gordon Freeman, but as his Half-Life 2 companion, Alex Vance. In this prequel, Alex is a 19-year-old rebel fighting a guerrilla war against a force of alien invaders that we know all too well named the Combine. The game opens with a breathtaking demonstration of VR's ability to represent scale. Performing reconnaissance for the rebels, Alex stands atop a balcony overlooking the rooftops of City 17 a sweeping vista of pastel-colored townhouses sitting in the cobalt-blue shadow of the Combine's towering citadel. The introduction also lets you dabble with a VR unique control system, twiddle with radios, and even write with felt-tip pens on windows before getting to the heart of the matter. I'm going to pause right there and tell you that you have to check out this math teacher's class that he posted on YouTube. It was him doing a geometry lesson because he's locked out from school, but still teaching via the internet. And he did it all within Half-Life Alex. It was quite a lesson, and I'm sure all of his students were enthralled, and I'm sure This is not the last time that we're going to see it. Uh, Back to the Half-Life story. Your father, Eli, has been abducted by civil protection, and you, Alex, need to venture into the city's alien-infested quarantine zone to rescue him. To aid her mission, Alex has several VR-enhanced tools at her disposal. A pair of gravity gloves enable her to move objects with a flick of the wrist, which can then be caught mid-air by pressing the controller's grip button and is so much fun. Alongside this, Alex has a remote device for hacking electrical systems and several weapons that must all be handled, aimed, and reloaded using virtual hands. Much of this is familiar territory to VR applications. What makes Alex special, though, is a more general symbiosis between the technology and the Half-Life universe. VR adds so much texture to City 17 and its motley inhabitants. This is shown in striking fashion by the headcrabs, Half-Life scuttling aliens who leap at your face and scare the out of you. In previous Half-Life games, these critters were little more than crowbar fodder. Here, though, you get a sense of their weight and power, how those leathery limbs and twitching legs could crack a human skull like a combination safe. Speaking of cracking things, VR adds tactile detail to the Combine's strange technology. Many terminals that you come across are protected by holographic security systems that can be manipulated with virtual hands. These hacking puzzles make fantastic use of VR tech, although one could argue Alex's designers are overly fond of obstructing your progress with them. As for what Half-Life brings to VR, how to structure pacing, narrative, character, dazzling set pieces, and frantic action sound. Like all of the Half-Life games, each of Alex's 11 chapters has a distinct theme. Whether it's exploring a dilapidated hotel infested by alien spores, or battling combine soldiers through the chimney stacks and brick warehouses of City 17's industrial district, the game sports a remarkable tonal range. At several points, it becomes an outright survival horror game, with Alex battling zombies and head crabs in the cramped darkness of the city's sewers and subways. But Alex and her calm-linked companion Russell lend levity to even the darkest moments via first-rate voice acting, and a script packed with genuinely funny jokes. Valve's debut VR game, after years of enticing demos, is a showcase of how to use this tech for long-form narratives, and it's a scintillating new entry in the Half-Life series. It may not be exactly the Half-Life game fans hoped for, lacking that all-important 3 number on the end, but from Left 4 Dead to Portal, Valve is truly a master at giving players games they didn't know that they wanted. Half-Life Alex is just another example of that ability to surprise, delight, and innovate. And happening in this week's What The, I really think that we've had more than enough What The moments to last us a lifetime recently. So until the COVID-19 crisis comes to an end, the only change I'm going to make to the show is we are getting rid of the What The segment and renaming it to this week's Moment of Joy. I hope that took your mind off of the world, if only for a moment, and brought a smile to your face. Thank you so much for watching your weekly tech update. If you have a story you think we should feature on the program, uh, shoot me an email. And of course, any cute animal videos, send them to me, we'll show those off as well. DJ Ray McNeil, at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at your weekly tech update, and check out the podcast. Audio and video versions available on iTunes, Google, Spotify, Audio Burst, and elsewhere on the interwebs. Till next time, I'm Ray McNeil. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone. Good night, world. tech update brought to you by holiday home care phillip island victoria australia it's your turn to relax